Hello, entertainment law nerds, enthusiasts, and aficionados, and welcome to the Dentons Canada Entertainment Media Law Signal Podcast. I'm your host, Bob Tarantino, and I'm here today with my new colleague, Stephanie Provado. Before we get any further, a quick disclaimer. Dentons is a global legal practice providing client services worldwide through its member firms and affiliates. This episode is not designed to provide legal or other advice, and you should not take or refrain from taking action based on its content. Please see Dentons.com for legal notices. Hi, Stephanie. How are you? Hi, Bob. I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Welcome to Dentons. Welcome to the Entertainment Group. And most importantly, welcome to the podcast. Um, We are excited to have you here, both at the firm and as a guest on the show. Uh, (laughs) Why don't we get started by getting a bit of an understanding of how it is that you ended up deciding to become an entertainment lawyer? Yeah, good question. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here both at Denton's um, and the podcast. I've been a fan of the podcast. I'm happy to be a guest. Um, So yeah, let's, let's get into it. Um, I think this is an easy question for me because it was something entertainment law was something I always knew that I wanted to do. Um, And at the same time, um, I always knew that I wanted to go to law school um, and do entertainment law. So I, I started out with it and um, from day one and knew that that's what I wanted to do from day one. Um, I always I always had a passion for the arts and film and TV, but at the same time, like I said, I knew I wanted to go to law school and then I learned that I could merge the two. So I came to see that networks and producers, talent had agents and managers and lawyers um, and that lawyers were and are part of the team. And that was really interesting to me. Um, And not just from the perspective of getting them out of legal trouble as an entertainment lawyer or as a lawyer in general, but more from the creative scene and behind the camera stuff, Um, like at all stages of development, financing, production and distribution, all that goes into a creative project. um, That was exciting to me and, and still is. Um, to me, you wouldn't think that you need lawyers to make something that is so cool and, and so creative. Um, but don't, don't get me wrong. It's, I know it's not the lawyers that are writing the scripts and being creative in any sense of the word. Um, but the fact that as a lawyer, you get to be a part of something that's out there in the world that you see on TV, um, on a billboard, on social media and theaters or in stores or things that people talk about at dinner parties um, was, was exciting to me. And at the same time, you'll be able to um, practice law and, and be a lawyer, which is something I always wanted to do. Excellent. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't want to undersell the importance of lawyers to the creative process. Right? <laughs> I think it's fair to say nothing happens without the lawyers. We might not That's be true. sort of Let's, sufficient, yeah. but we're necessary. Um, <laughs> sufficient, but necessary. I like that. And so were you, so, Funnily enough, I think actually you and I are similar in that sense, because I think it's actually relatively unusual for somebody to go into law school wanting to be an entertainment or like sort of having that settled notion, like, yes, I'm going to be an entertainment lawyer. Um, I was Mm -hmm. somewhat similar. My goal was actually, I wanted to be a music lawyer in particular. And Mm -hmm. so was which aspects of the of the entertainment industries were you like a big consumer of or fan of or 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 were you just sort of looking to be an entertainment lawyer writ large without focusing on a particular kind of vertical within that space yeah I think it was it was mostly tv uh, and Mm. and film 
Um, it was, you know, growing up, going to the movies and, and watching series and then growing up with, you know, a Netflix coming out and the way that everyone consumes content and, and different series just coming up and really making a mark in the entertainment industry um, and just the evolution of different TV shows and just seeing how well that they've been doing and just seeing also the kind of impact that television shows can have on not just pop culture, but also other social movements and things like that was, was interesting to me. Um, and I talked to a lot of in the early years and especially when I was summering and articling, um, I talked to a lot of entertainment lawyers um, and IP lawyers and, and anybody that kind of touched that space um, to figure out what entertainment law actually meant. Because what I learned was, um, and I'm curious to see if you agree as well, entertainment law means different things to different entertainment lawyers, not even just, you know, yes, there's music law and yes, there's, you know, distribution and production and financing and all of that. Um, it's just, there are some lawyers that have clients that are just in the entertainment space. Um, and then there are some lawyers that are, on the ground doing production work or doing the financings and, and, and that kind of work. So it was really finding out what I wanted to do and what I wanted my entertainment practice to look like. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree. I mean, I think people can underestimate the sort of the variety of entertainment law practices. Um, it, it, now, I think there's some kind of geographic variation within that observation like I, I think american entertainment lawyers have a tendency to be much more specialized um mm -hmm. canadian entertainment lawyers in private practice at least seems to me tend to be more generalist um while developing sort of some kind of focus so you know like for our group or, or for me in particular i mean i do a lot of film and television work uh, i do a fair amount of like music work in the sense of kind of M&A transactional music-based work. Um, but I, there's things I can't do or don't do. So think, you know, like I, I would never purport to act for like a, an artist in connection with a, like a record contract or, or mm -hmm. a, an author in connection with a book public contract. Cause I just don't have that sort of experience to know kind of what's current in those spaces. But at the same time, I think entertainment laws is quite broad in the sense that there's lots of places or, or types of practice that are sort of entertainment law adjacent. And I think people kind of miss that. So things like media law, like defamation law or broadcast regulation stuff that to me, the, those folks are entertainment lawyers as much as anything else. And, and if you sort of focus too narrowly on, on, you know, oh, the person that is representing Drake when he's, you know, arguing with a concert promoter, uh, you can kind of miss the trees for the forest, I guess, to invert the metaphor. Um, so the, I mean, what did you do, like in light of the fact that you wanted to be an entertainment lawyer, um, what steps did you take in law school to, to kind of chase that that ultimate goal? And were there things that you would recommend to current students uh, that they do, um, either because you did them and they worked or you did them and they didn't work or you didn't do them and you should have done them? <laughs> um, I, I really tried to put myself out there as much as I could in terms of 
making connections and networking with people that were doing the kind of work that I wanted to be doing um, and just learning more about the industry. Because like you said, there's many different hats um, that entertainment lawyers wear and entertainment practices look different to different entertainment lawyers. Um, so I just kind of wanted to get my own education on that because unfortunately, a lot of law schools don't have too many entertainment law courses. Um, I, I, I went to Windsor Law and there certainly weren't any entertainment law proper courses, um, but, um, and it's interesting because I speak to a lot of young lawyers and law students who reach out to me and express that they have an interest in entertainment law. So the interest is there for it. Um, and being in a province that has Toronto, which is such a production hub, you'd think um, it'd be represented in law school and the curriculum and, and as an option, but maybe we're getting there or we'll get there. Um, I'm not sure. Um, I know that I think Osgood definitely has an entertainment and sports law course, um, but to the extent those specific entertainment law courses aren't offered, for me, for example, I didn't have access to specific entertainment law courses during law school. So I'd say to do which is to do what I did, which was taking IP courses um, like copyright. I also took an internet law course. So courses that have content um, that come up um, and make up an entertainment, that come up in and make up an entertainment law practice. Um, and also taking courses like contract drafting because it's a big part of an entertainment practice as well. Um, I also think that it's important like exposure to entertainment law doesn't have to come from law school courses per se there are a lot of great resources out there um, to kind of get your own education on it um, not even trying to plug it but Denton's does have so many great resources and guides available online that the group has put out there and I've been referencing and going to for years in my practice even before joining the firm um, for students, I'd say check out if your law school has an entertainment law society or committee, um, either to get involved in or go to any events that they're running. I know I've spoken on a few panels run by law students and law schools, and you get to meet a lot of great people that way um, and hear a lot about experiences um, and practices. Um, I've also gotten involved with the OBA entertainment law section, which I think is a great place to um, to get involved in if you want to be in the entertainment law space, either on the executive board or attend their monthly events. They have great speakers from all walks of entertainment law. Um, so that's definitely valuable. There's also the, the Osgood certificate of, in entertainment law that I think is really open to anyone. And attendees are usually a wide range from like students and lawyers and agents, business affairs, reps and producers. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty intensive and comprehensive um, resource. And I know that, you know, other organizations like WIFT, um, Women in Film and Television in uh, Toronto has an intro to entertainment law workshop. So I think there's no need to feel discouraged or disadvantaged if your law school doesn't offer entertainment law specific courses. There's a lot of great opportunities and resources out there that I know I definitely tapped into and met a lot of great people that way. Um, so that's kind of my, my advice. Amazing. Nice. Yeah. It sounds like there's, there's a lot of resources that you were able to take advantage of and look at you now, here you are. So, <laughs> how, um, so, I mean, you've been practicing for a while, you've been both in-house and in private practice. What, 
uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on sort of the differences between those two different environments and maybe sort of, you know, what you'll miss about uh, being in-house um, and what you're looking forward to uh, about being in private practice again. Uh, yeah, I think the biggest thing, I think a lot of lawyers will say when they're making a transition from in-house to private practice is getting back on the uh, docketing train and um, <laughs> being called to uh, track your time again is something that uh, I need to um, keep in mind and remember. Um, but I think it's, um, it's interesting because being in private practice, um, you're not the client anymore. Um, so I guess now being in private practice, you're the one giving business cards rather than receiving them. Um, so business development looks a little different now. Um, so that's just something that, that is, is the difference between the two. Um, I don't, maybe one of the challenges, I don't want to call it a challenge because it's actually something I'm excited about shifting towards is that being in house, you get to know the company you're in really well um, and from top to bottom and all the ins and outs. Whereas in private practice, you have many clients um, and you're not all consumed in, in all one. So you don't get to know them all in the way as you obviously would if your bread and butter was just the one and you were sun up, sun down to that one um, organization or client. But like I said, it's something that I'm excited about too, because you're working with a lot of different people and clients um, and, and different needs. Amazing. Yeah. Being curious is, is a real sort of asset in, in this, I, I guess, mm -hmm. as, a, as a lawyer generally, but particularly in this space, because things seem to be changing constantly. And we have so many different clients that we're attending to that uh, it, it's helpful to kind of figure out what's going on at a, at a macro and a micro level with them. In terms right. of I, the, sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, I was just going to say, I also think coming from an in-house role does kind of give you a unique perspective and a skill set. Mm -hmm. Um, that because you've now worked on the other side, you've got that client knowledge and you've seen things from a client perspective and you're now going back into private practice and going, moving towards an external counsel role, knowing what those clients needs are, what the expectations are of external counsel, knowing the business and strategy from a client perspective, because you've gained kind of a commercial mindset and you're bringing all of that to your clients you're, that you're serving now as external counsel. Um, and I think that's a lot of the reasons why firms have the condiments, um, maybe because, you know, there's value in that for both the firm mm -hmm. and the lawyer's personal practice and professional and business development. Yeah, absolutely. I know that that was one of the things that you brought to the table that made you a particularly attractive candidate for us. So we're looking forward to, to learning from you in that regard and, and uh, leveraging that knowledge in a way that uh, helps both us and our clients. So that's great. Um, in terms of challenges over the past year or so, I mean, you know, the world has faced a lot of challenges, obviously. What, what have you seen that kind of has, has impacted your day-to-day -day practice? Um, and, and is there anything that you sort of expect to continue posing a challenge like that going forward? I think, yeah, I think he kind of alluded to it. It's hard to answer this question without talking about the impact that COVID has had on the entertainment industry in the past couple of years. Um, it's definitely presented a lot of challenges and still continues to, um, especially at the production level. Um, you know, whenever things have had to shut down, that impacts production schedules, which has a ripple effect because it results in, 
you know, budget overages and now who's going to pay for those? Is it the producer? Is it the network? Um, we've seen some new responses that have been put together as a result. Like the telefilm has the short-term compensation fund for productions to apply for, for coverage for up to a certain amount if there's like an interruption or you have to abandon a production completely due to COVID. So there's no doubt that that's been um, an ongoing challenge in the industry. I've also never read and negotiated so intently so many forced majeure clauses <laughs> as I now have in the past few years um, because, you know, a lot of the concern is the resulting pushing back, like I said, of delivery schedules of episodes and entire movies um, to networks and licensees. And what does that look like when we've got default provisions in, you know, a lot of our agreements? So in all agreements, so it's been a challenging time and a lot of legal questions from clients that are unprecedented um, and that have to be taken day by day. Um, and that's something that I think we've been kind of called to um, to add to our repertoire of, of services for our clients. Um, another thing that I think has come up more recently is a focus on equity, diversity, and inclusion in, in the sense that I've seen like CRTC and broadcasters are requiring producers to report on the diversity of their cast and crew on a production. Um, and I've seen those in the form of voluntary surveys to distribute to cast and crew. Um, and they ask self-identification questions like gender identity, indigenous status, disability, um, sexual orientation and identification with a racialized group. So I think it's great to call the industry to task to ensure that diversity is, is, is there both on and off camera, especially because of the conversations being had around, you know, Black Lives Matter, telling stories from different perspectives by people from those perspectives. And the, for example, Oscar is so white, you know, there's a, there's a lot of work that needs to be done and it's starting to be put on paper um, and something that producers and clients are coming to their lawyers about to help them do it right. Um, so that's, that's definitely something that's cemented itself in, I think, entertainment practices. We're going to sort of wrap up soon, but I wanted to reach back to the initial part of our conversation where you were talking about how you had been a big TV and, and film fan. Are you still like, do you, once you've seen <laughs> behind the curtain and you, you see how, how it's made, like, are you still sort of enamored with it or can you still enjoy stuff or are you constantly watching things going like, did they properly license? Like, was that cleared? I don't think that was clear. It's funny. It's funny. Um, that's definitely, that's exactly what I was going to say. Now I, I watch things from specifically a clearance perspective um, and I'll, you know, see something in the background and say, did they, did they get the uh, appropriate release to show that artwork? Or I see a little Nike check on their, on their sweater. Um, I hope that, you know, they didn't do a good job of blurring anything out or maybe they did, maybe they didn't have to, but um, it's certainly something that, you know, even if I hear a song in a movie and it's a popular song, I, I think to myself, that was probably a, a big price tag to get that song in, in right. that movie. So um, <laughs> it's definitely, I'm definitely still, um, still a big film and TV fan and consumer, but it's just interesting that now there's just been another lens that I watch it through. Right. Exactly. That's the perfect word for it. A new lens that sort of mm -hmm. slips down over your vision as you're watching these things. Mm -hmm. uh, is there anything in particular? Like big... Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I'm also a big um, continuity 
<laughs> I like <laughs> I like to um to see, you know, wait, that glass was half empty, now right. it's full, or you know, her hair was on this side and now it's on that side. So right. um I'm I'm watching for that. And I also now, you know, being in the in the entertainment industry, um I I, I watch the credits. Um, mm. not, I don't, I know not a lot of people stay for the credits or will watch to the very end, um, before they flip to something else, but, but I do, I watch the credits. I want to see the locations, the special thanks, how many VFX people and makeup and assistants to who and, and what lawyers are and law firms were involved. And, um, yeah, I definitely watch the credits to the annoyance of the other people that I'm watching anything with, but, um, Yeah. Amazing. Well, here's to here's to our names showing up in more credits in the future. <laughs> so, Stephanie, there we go. I like that. Thanks so much for joining us today, and, and thanks to all of our listeners for joining in. And please join us on the next episode of the Dentons Canada Entertainment Media Law Signal Podcast. Thanks, Stephanie. Thanks so much for having me.